The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. John Paz, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, as well as one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling. He is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you today? John, I'm doing great today, and you know I got to thinking, man. I mean, I remember Farmer Burns at one time was the greatest wrestling trainer ever. And that was in the early 1900s, I believe. He even wrote a book, and he, he trained a lot of people throughout the throughout his time period, too. And so did Ed Strangler Lewis. And, and you know, when I, when I, every time I hear you say that, I almost uh, almost want to correct you. But at the same time, I, I, I think back and at, at all the great trainers who came through professional wrestling. And those guys, uh, and the reason I bring that up is because I was reading a little bit about uh, Toots Mott, Strangler Lewis, and even Farmer Burns earlier today. So... Uh, great trainers come along and great trainers, uh, go away. So I'm just happy to be a, a trainer or slash coach in this day and age of, of, uh, uh, of the time period the world's going through right now. So anyway, it's a great night here in Knoxville, Tennessee, as usual, as always. And, uh, this is the last week of 2020's JPWA class, the last week of 20, or last class of 2020, actually. So, a lot of things going on this week. We have our graduation in Gladeville, Tennessee. Thanks very much to Burt Prentice and USA Championship Wrestling. So, uh, uh, I'm feeling good tonight. You know, it's interesting. You were talking about, like, the best trainers. What about some more modern-day trainers? Not so modern-day. I'm thinking, like, what about, like, Eddie Sharkey? Uh, and guys like that. Who else do you think is like a great? It doesn't have to be you know in the two thousands, but maybe eighties, seventies, nineties. Who do you think is some of the best? Well, I, I think some of the more famous ones uh, would, would be guys like Eddie Sharkey. But there was a guy, a couple guys in Houston, Texas, that I uh, went to when the Iron Sheik left and and found out that a guy named Nick Kozak, a, a wrestler around Texas and you know, from Canada, and a guy, his partner. Joe Mercer, they had a ring set up in their record service in Houston. They were Nick was a pretty good trainer. Um, I, I would also think that probably, oh my gosh, uh, the Boston Tony Santos. A lot of guys went to Tony Santos back in the old days. Les Thatcher, 
know, dusty roads. Uh, you know, that was probably the only place you can go. And you had Rick Bassman, of course, over in uh, California, trained some guys and trained some stars. So um, they're, they're, again, and probably the modern-day guys would have to be Lance Storm, I think, is one of the, the premier trainers. Uh, he has his way of doing things. I, I think I do it just a little differently because I, I will raise my voice and I will yell. And I, I don't know if he if he does that. I don't know if he, how he does, but he's he's had some success in training people too. Ron Hutchinson as well up in Canada. So there there are some guys out there um, that. Yeah, Rudy Gonzalez. Let me just mention Rudy and, and Danny Cage at the Monster Factory too. While I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking of the places I've been to uh, that had some good training and, and uh, a good attitude and a great atmosphere when you go in. I think that's a huge, huge part of training is the atmosphere and conditions you find yourself in. So, uh, are they conducive to learning or not? And I think all the people I mentioned were, were pretty. Pretty successful and, and uh, uh, put out some stars along the way. Yeah, I feel like maybe back in the day, like you know, you'd think maybe like Hiro Matsuda, but then you hear he broke Hogan's leg, and you know, so it's like, yeah, some guys are good, but maybe uh, you know, maybe well, we'll take it to the extreme. Yeah, 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 and and I, but that was the way it was done back then. Um, even you know, the Iron Sheik stressed the living hell out of me, and and some guys, uh, Joe Mercer, when I first went to his, uh, it was set up in his record service, and two feet on on one side, two feet away was a was about a six foot drop into an oily, nasty pit, and uh, you know, he he first thing he did was uh, he he said, let me see your finger, and he took it and bit it, and I went ah. He goes, yeah, no, that's the way you sell. You know, you sell, think, shoot, but work, and sell accordingly. But guys like Matsuda and uh, Bob Roop, who was uh, pretty much recruited into stretching marks, he said, by Eddie Graham, you know, that was just, that was the business back then. That was the way everybody protected it, and everybody thought they needed to protect it, and uh, just to prove that it was a tough sport, and it's still a tough sport. No matter what, it's still a tough business, and uh, you know, I, I think the mark of a good trainer is if if you come away feeling like you learned something, if you if you find success or stick with it, um, you know, it's really there. There's a lot of factors on the student. Uh, you know, I just read the something earlier today that uh, actually my friend Rudy Gonzalez put out by Zelina Vega talking about how frustrated she was and how this generation doesn't really understand uh, about paying dues and, and what the, what getting to that point means What what when we say whatever it takes. And Natty Neidhart talks about seven tryouts. She, she was turned down each time. Uh, Zelina saying the same thing in here. You know, it's everybody thinks all you have to do is sign up, go to a wrestling school, and for whether it's 12 weeks or, or 12 months, that all of a sudden, once you're done with, with training, you're automatically a star, and it doesn't work that way. It's a, it's a continuing education, and it really is up to the person training, up to the person who wants to do this, uh, to see how much you really want to do it. And believe me, there, there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of um, hot coals to walk on, so to speak, and... Uh, it, it it's it's a process, and 
you know, if 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 a trainer or a coach tells you, oh, no, everything's okay, don't worry about it, and never tells you, no, this is wrong, let's correct it, then they're doing you a disservice by not being honest with you. And uh, good players want to be coached, great players want to be told the truth. And whether you want to be great or not, I'm going to tell you when I think it looks like crap, and uh, I think all great trainers will do the same. It was interesting with Selena Vega. I was just figuring this out. So she has 14,000 subscribers to her Twitch channel. I don't quite understand Twitch other than the fact that they're apparently playing video games and people are paying to watch them and interact with them while they're playing video games. It's a weird thing, but it's very, very popular nowadays. So she has 14,000 subscribers at $3 a piece, which is $42,000 a month. Wow. So so 42,000, if my math is correct, times 12 months, would be about $500,000 or maybe a little bit above $500,000. So she was making more money doing playing video games than taking bumps. That's one of the things where it's like, maybe she is right. Maybe she uh, should value her Twitch and, and stay on there. Well, I, th- that's a great point. I, you know, I don't know anything about Twitch either. I thought it was like Patreon, but uh, I, I really don't know what it is. But if you're making, uh, God almighty, 40, what, how much? Apparently, she it's three dollars to subscribe, and she has fourteen thousand subscribers. So that would yeah. be forty-two thousand dollars a month, and then times twelve months would be a yeah. little bit over five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, if you're making doing over five, yeah, yeah, over five k a month or five hundred thousand dollars a year. My goodness. Uh, so, yeah, maybe she. Uh, well, she's right because she stood by her beliefs and did what she felt was right for her. So. Uh, more power to her, but but again, this was this was shared earlier today on on uh, Facebook as I was scrolling down, and I thought there's that's something uh, I'm I'm gonna share with our students just to let them know because a lot of people don't understand that that you 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 don't you really haven't struggled yet. <laughs> you know the the wrestling school part is is the easy part. You know the hard part is getting out there and, and making it work and, and understanding. Uh, there's a lot of treacherous uh, objects and obstacles along the way, and you're, you're going to have to learn how to navigate them. And um, uh, hopefully, you'll you'll ask advice before you put your foot in your mouth or step in a in a big pile of quicksand. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand what that means, and and uh, go out and. And make the same mistakes we all make, and we're all uh, susceptible to, to 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 making those mistakes. And it's not a crime. It's not a crime to mess up. It's not a crime to be wrong. Uh, you just correct it, and that's that's what you need to do. So, if Selena's happy, and uh, obviously she is, or or maybe she's not. Maybe she didn't want to uh, have to be forced to give up one or the other. I mean, that that's a lot of money, and that's that's a lot of revenue to give up, especially during this time when nobody knows what's going to go back to, when it's going to go back, if it's going to go back to normal. You know, every company is talking about uh, not doing house shows, and I don't know how that's going to work. You know, or when, when are they going to be able to do house shows again? I know... Rumors go around all the time, but n- nobody knows. And it's uncertain times, and it can be very uncomfortable. And it's been very uncomfortable for a lot of us during this time. So I can I can empathize with what she's going through. And 
I said doing nothing. Obviously, she's not doing something. Nothing. She's doing something, and all these fans are interested in her. But it's like she doesn't have to take bumps, and she's making that kind of money. And I know she does some modeling stuff on the side too. So it's like, man, she's probably killing it outside of WWE money. And I'm sure she gets paid pretty good from WWE. But it just seems like she's making so much money doing this extra stuff that you can't give up that stream right now. And if she is so popular, WWE would want her back because. They you know want somebody with a big fan base. Well, of course, and and once again, uh, I think WWE uh, respects um, and and even go. I'll go so far as to say they admire people who can go out and make it on their own. You know, I know one fellow who uh, had been fired, and and he started up a podcast, and it became wildly popular. And then all of a hmm. sudden, he went on the road. Yeah, went on the road hmm. and did these club dates, and and was, <laughs> you know. Everybody could tell you, oh, yeah, they were hanging from the rafters, and oh, yeah, every night and every night. Well, come to find out, they, they were hanging from the rafters. I, I went to one show in particular down in Nashville, and and it was sold out, and they were lined up afterwards uh, around the building to get pictures and gimmicks, and I thought, well, this isn't bad. Plus, getting a cut of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the whatever the bar sold. So that's, that's smart business, and... You know, they they he was making a lot more than than when he was working full time, and uh, of course he worked hard at it and, and and did a great job. But then all of a sudden it's like, wait, hey, wait a minute, hey, how would you like to do that over here? So, you know, who knows what the future holds? I I think that uh, the main thing is you have to be true to yourself, and haters are going to hate. People are going to say whatever they want to say about you, and that that includes. <laughs> that includes your former employer uh, and and people you worked with. It doesn't matter. You have to. You can't please everybody, so you have to please yourself. And and more power to or more power to anybody that that has uh, enough pull, enough stroke, enough belief and confidence in themselves that they don't need to be beholden to anyone but themselves. Think about that, Bruce. Obviously, who you're referring to, Bruce Fritz, yeah. brother Brucey was so popular outside WB, they were dying to bring him back. I remember when Undertaker basically didn't have a deal with them. He was going to do autograph signings. He was getting, I think, between $25,000 and $50,000 an hour to sign, and people were scooping him up left and right. How they had that money, who knows? But, I mean, so then, oh, Vince signs him back. All of a sudden, AEW wants Goldberg. Goldberg is back uh, with WB, $3 million deal. Like It's just crazy that if somebody else wants you, you know, WB is definitely going to be knocking the door. So Zelina Vega seems like she's super-duper popular right now. I would guarantee you if this popularity continues, WB will bring her back and probably more money. Well, that's that's really what's the, the thing these days. Everything is bizarre world. And uh, you're right. If, if she proves to be uh, more popular, my God, it, I, nobody knows, but, I mean, it would make more sense. Um, at the same time, I, I don't know the particulars of what's going on um, in, in, obviously, backstage or or, or in the office uh, uh, as far as talent and, and bookings and things like that go. But um, you, the one thing you can say is, is – you never know, and uh, so yeah, it's it's just crazy. She's been up, she's been down, but you know she made the movie with uh, uh, oh, was it Paige's movie with mm-hmm. with the okay, Rock? What, yep. th- what was the name? Fighting with your family. Uh, 
Yep. You know, so she's she's been around uh, successful people. She knows uh, the ups and downs. She's she's been rejected, dejected, and hired, and lived her dream job, and and got over on her own. That's what a lot of people don't see. They don't see the hard work she's put in. They don't understand she's flown herself to various places just to prove her worth, just to prove her passion, just to prove when when she said she would do anything, she wasn't just talking. She wasn't just giving lip service. I mean, when we talk about whatever it takes, we, we can't pinpoint that until we come to that crossroad, and then you have to figure out, oh, wait a minute. Uh, do you mean that you have to go here instead of there. And, and, you know, in my case, I had a girlfriend who called me up uh, one Saturday morning when I'm getting ready to go to Dallas with King Parsons and, and Nick Kozak for King's first match. And and she, my girlfriend called me up crying, saying her mother had a heart attack and she's in the hospital and I'm, I'm heading there now and I'll see you there. No, I'm, I'm going to Dallas. You're what? <laughs> I'm going to hmm. Dallas. Yeah. Well, I mean – it's it's things like that and and so anyway that was a long long time ago <laughs> long time ago but but the point is um you know we don't know until we get to that point and uh that's as arn likes to say that's adversity introduces himself to a to a person so to speak and yeah you find out so um I think Zelina will be just fine because she's going to stay true to herself and she knows what she has to do to survive and make her life worth living for her and nobody else. Now, the topic at hand today is the Survivor Series 1995, which was held on November 19th, of course, 1995, in Landover, Maryland at the U.S. Air Arena in front of, get this, 14,500 fans. The buy rate, only a .57, which equals 128,000 buys. Mm. A pay-per-view buys is really low and not that great, but the attendance is great, which is kind of uh, shocking. You think, I don't know, do you think that sometimes that both things don't correlate, like good attendance, you're like, oh, wow, great attendance, 14,000, but you only get 128,000 pay-per-view buys. Well, I, I, you know, the only thing I can judge uh judge anything on is through my own experience and my own um travels and through life and i i've i've come to the conclusion especially with all the uh uh painful ups and downs of of 2020 that if you if you don't have anything interesting if you don't have anything that captures the attention or imagination of uh fans whether they're wrestling fans casual fans television fans soap opera fans whatever they are whatever your your thing is you know uh if there's nothing really there to to make people say man i've got to see this like a uh when austin and rock were hot when mankind and everybody was on fire and uh, Undertaker and and all these all these things happening uh, at once, but the synergy was 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 there and people were were interested, enthusiastic, passionate about the product. Um, 
that that's when you're going to get your audience. In, in 2020, I think, and I know we'll go back to 95 here in a minute, but in 2020, you have a captive audience almost when you had the quarantine and you had all these things going on. But uh, it is hard to watch wrestling with no people. It's hard to go out and have a match with no people if you've never felt it, if you've never done this. And a lot of guys, like a Daniel Bryan, who's wrestled in front of no people practically, <laughs> and some of these guys who have done independence understand how to go out there and just think, shoot, but work. Would you react the same way in an empty arena as you would in front of a full arena? I think not. If you're really shooting, I think not. If you're really feeling it, I don't think you would. Uh, and in 1995, I guess, there was not. That was a cold, cold period, man. I, I, I think just for whatever reason, um, talent or just uh, interest, whatever it was, it, it it wasn't there. That was, you know, you got to remember the, the trial had just ended not too long before that, and it was in a rebuilding stage, and there was a lot of uh, issues going on still backstage, and they were still cutting uh, the the budget and payroll and, and still going through that regrowth period and regrouping period. So uh, you had what you had, and... I was a part of that. I get it, you know. So it was right before the big boom took off. But I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think that I, I think that everybody was still trying to figure it out, and whatever it was um, during that time, it just wasn't clicking. And it took a little while before it did, and it took a, a influx of new talent and a, taking a chance on talent. And you also had people there who still loved professional wrestling and saw it uh, through different eyes than they see it today. And of course, it had it hadn't reached the point it has reached so far today. With oh my goodness, with with all the new inventions and all the new uh, nuances and uh, flip-flop and fly, which, you, you know, I, I just say, it, obviously it was a different time, different place, and nobody was on fire back then. It was just it was just there, and, and uh, everybody was looking for an answer and, and searching high and low and, and instead of looking in the right places to find it, I guess. Eventually it got there, but um, it took a while, and... and I always enjoyed WWE's philosophy. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, because, whoo, uh, you got to have that positive mindset, and you have to, hey, you have to believe. And I, I, I uh, you know, during that time, I know they were wanting to believe and and had every reason to believe, but it was a, there was a different uh, bunch of guys still out there, a talent pool in WCW, and and the independents were still pretty healthy. I think ECW was still out there, and um, now that's not there. So, and in 95, you know, there, there was there was time to rebuild, and that was they were they were taking that time to reassess what uh, what they had. The announced team for this show, Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Mr. Perfect, who is basically kind of can still go, can still wrestle, but I guess he's sitting out due to the Lloyds of London insurance policy. Are you familiar with these insurance policies at all? 
Well, yeah, you know, David Lee Roth had a uh, Lloyd's of London insurance, paternity insurance policy. I mean, uh, uh, in case you got anybody pregnant. Sure. Yeah, they don't do that at Lloyd's of London. <laughs> God, that, that was one of the greatest gimmicks of all time. And I thought, my God, this is... No, that doesn't happen. They wouldn't do that. And they stopped doing the Lloyd's of London for wrestling, too, after these guys started cashing in. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure the specifics... Uh, and details in the in the in the um, policy, but I do know that uh, I think Kurt took it, Rude took it, um, gosh, I don't know if Anim oh Animal took it I think, mm -hmm. and, but but I do know I do know one of the things was if they went back to wrestling if they actually wanted to go back into wrestling which Rude wanted to do, I believe the deal was. They had to pay it back what they what they cashed out. I'm not. Sh I, I I don't know exactly, but I do know. If, uh, you know when the guys were making big money, they they found this Lloyd's in London deal, and and uh, supposedly Lloyd's in London would uh, insure anything. That's why the DLR scenario was so great because I thought no, and then I found out no. In fact, <laughs> they don't do that. But uh, great makes for a great story. Don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's what I say. Yes, true. Shawn Michaels also was uh, was part of that. So I believe the story goes, and I think Bischoff talks about it on his podcast, Rick Rude needed to pay back $450,000 if he wanted to uh, yeah. basically return. And, and that's just too much. I mean, that was just so damn expensive, just too too much money to pay back. But it would have been awesome if Rude would have, would have come back and obviously hopefully not passed away you know, about a year or so later. But it was, would have been awesome had he returned and wrestled because I feel like he had so much left to give. And it looked like he was still in great shape. Oh my God! Yeah, Rude would have been great. Rude had uh, Rude was one of those those guys, and all the Minnesota guys had that uh, attitude and that tough guy uh, aura about him. Uh, the, the the arm wrestling champion and uh, his sister was a oh man, she was. I, I had only seen her, never met her, but I heard she was incredible too, just an incredible athlete. So all those guys did, but I think probably at the time uh, he was thinking, uh, I can get this money now. I won't have to worry about it and save my body. Rest, take it easy. The dark match is a WWF World Tag Team title match. The Smoking Guns, who are the champions, defeat a shocking team here because they're from ECW and still are in ECW at this point, but they defeat Public Enemy, Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock. Kind of a surprising dark match for the time in 1995. Well, again, I think with uh, uh, the way things were going and Paul had always had kind some kind of relationship with uh, people in the office mm -hmm. and people in the office watched the show and it only makes sense because you want to keep uh, you want to keep abreast, if you will, of who's out there and who might be available, and why not work with the guy right next door in New York City? So, um, not so not so shocking on our end, or on anybody else's end who knew uh, that that Paul was Paul Heyman was was having a uh, a hand in helping get new talent on occasion. The first match of the evening, Survivor Series Elimination 8-Man Tag, the Body Donnas of Rad Bradford, 1-2-3-Kid, the Dr. Desire, Tom Pritchard, and Team Captain Skip, along with Sonny and Teddy Biasi in the corner, 
versus the underdogs. Barry Horowitz, who is the team captain, Bob, Sparkplug, Holly, Hakushi, and Marty Janetti. Match goes 19 minutes, and the Body Donnas get the victory over the underdogs. What do you remember about this hodgepodge of a match? <sighs> you know, uh, exactly that. It was a hodgepodge of a match. And um, we were – I remember Jimmy and I were off, and uh, Jimmy was taking a hiatus, and – I was called uh, about coming in for Survivor Series, and I thought, well, this is kind of a mishmash of talent and guys put together, but um, it wasn't, I, I, you know, they had been doing the angle with Chris and Rad Radford, uh, Louis Spicoli, and, and it, was a, it was a nice angle for those guys. It was nice to get Louis in there because, uh, uh, Red Radford, as Louis Spicoli, that was that was him, uh, you know his persona. But you know he 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 was a he was actually a tremendous worker, tremendous talent, and uh, you know with 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 Kid and, and Chris, uh, it just it it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into it, and I knew that, and I think everybody knew that in the match. It was just let's put these guys in a match and, and have it. And that's pretty much what I remember of it. It wasn't there was nothing uh spectacular to remember about that night whatsoever. And I wish I had more more to say about it, but I really, really don't because again, we and, and as we talked about you know, at the start, it was not uh, a very well received pay per view. And I think for reasons like that match and, and I'm sure the rest of the card wasn't very uh Canalizing for people that they would want to spend whatever the pay-per-views were back then. I think fifty bucks. Am I wrong? Uh, at that point in '95, I believe I want to say they were thirty bucks. Okay, um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. But it, you know, they were still it, it's, it's crazy. You know, you're little little pricey, man. If you're, yeah, if you're, not, if you're yeah, if you're paying for for a, a, a pretty lackluster car, to say it nicely, and uh, but but who knows? I mean, if you're a wrestling fan, you're gonna you're gonna pay for it anyway. You're gonna uh, get your pay per view fix. But uh, no, honestly, goodness, I just don't. Uh, I remember getting to the building by myself, and we had been off. I don't know, maybe a month or two months or however long we had been in exile, and uh, got there by myself, dressed and. Uh, I met with the guys and went over a match, and that was it. And and uh, man, so other than that, <laughs> no, I don't have any really fond memories of it at all. Now this is pre Body Donna, Tom Pritchard, here, so you're just Tom Pritchard, uh, the, the wrestler. You're just the kind of the doctor's desire, but it's almost like you're very nondescript. And, yeah, know, the, fact, the fact that you're you're <laughs> not quite yet. So, do you know anything about the body donors at this point? Well, like, any hints? No, no hints. But my my pretty much my first uh, few years in WWE was pretty much nondescript. If you want to get down to it, so uh, you know, I, it was it was during that time where uh, look, you have to speak up. You have to have ideas. You've got to you've got to watch out for yourself because nobody else is. And I just wasn't doing that and and neither was <laughs> none of us were doing not jimmy and i weren't doing it and uh i was not ready to even 
it wasn't a good time. How about that? And uh, uh, so, no, I had no inkling of the body downers yet. I loved Chris, you know, to death. He was a great guy. Loved the business. Uh, knew how to uh, knew how to have fun backstage when he when he could, uh, and knew how to how to enjoy himself in the ring and, and have great matches. And I always enjoyed that. Always um, appreciated that. But at this time. Uh, we were just kind of hanging out, and you know, that I I had an idea that the the heavenly bodies were pretty much done uh, because we hadn't been involved in anything, and even if we had an idea, we we never really presented anything. So, uh, th- th- there's only so long before you go, and and as guys are finding out, if you don't have any ideas, and they don't have any ideas for you. Then pretty much uh, you're you're out of luck and you're left off. So uh, I didn't, and then after that we, you know, found out, and I got the uh, the call asked if I'd like to be a body donor, to which I said no. And then I say okay, click. Oh yeah, wait wait a minute, sure it's just hair. I'll I'll cut my hair, no problem. So, uh, but at that time no, no I had no idea. And uh, wasn't even thinking that way. Bob Holly eliminates you in the first five minutes, so you're the fir- first one gone. That's well, of course. That's why yeah. I don't remember too much about it. Yeah, I, I, I try to forget that stuff as soon as it happened. So, of course, you know, then Skip eliminates Bob Holly about five seconds later. Well, thank God. That's why we were partners. That's why we were thinking alike. Yeah. And, of course, Rad Radford eliminates Hakushi. Barry Horowitz would then eliminate Rad Radford. The one, two, three kid would eliminate Horowitz. Gennetti eliminates Skip. And then one, two, three kid eliminates Marty Gennetti at about the 19 minute mark for the sole survivorship. So he becomes sole survivor. One, two, three kid wins the match for the heels. And of course he's managed by DiBiase at this point, kind of an interesting pairing. You will see them again, uh, maybe a little bit less than a year later, uh, formed in the NWO together, which is even more interesting. The one, two, three kid wins the match kind of odd seeing Barry Horowitz getting, you know, a push after being, you know, the, the, the enhancement talent to the stars for so many years, although a great worker. Well, yeah. And, and something like that happens, I think out of, uh, uh, seeing guys like, you know, Candido and, and Barry Horowitz who had been there for a while. And, and they're trying to make a point with Candido. Um, you know, you, man, God, we, we, we could do hours on, on what it was like back then, but, but it'd be best if we didn't. Uh, yeah, you know, Barry had, had hadn't really done anything, but he, but he'd, he had been around for a long time, and he wasn't one of those guys that you you always wanted to work with, or the guys wanted to work with because he knew how to work, and he and he was safe in the ring, and and they liked him. He's he's great to have backstage too, very entertaining, uh, uh, and and good to have around. So, um, here you have Chris, who, I, for whatever reason, they were using Chris the way they're using Chris, and. And why not put them in an angle? At least they have something to do. It was 1995. It was nothing going on, really. It was why not have it going on? And uh, so, so I'm glad he got something out of it, and I'm glad Chris had something to do as well. Because you know, as, as I as we all found out later on, there was nothing really in the works or in the plans for for 
Chris or anybody connected with the body downs, except for one. The next match is the Survivor Series Elimination 8-man tag featuring the woman, Aja Kong, Bertha Faye, Lioness, Asuka, no, not that Asuka, and Tomoko Watanabe with Harvey Whippleman defeat Alundra Blaze, Asari, Inao, and Hasegawa in about 10 minutes. The survivor and winner of the match is Aja Khan. Just to throw it out there, I don't know if you're uh, too abreast with women's wrestling, but there's some really good uh, Japanese women wrestlers in this match. Of course, Medusa, a.k.a. Alundra Blaze, is an all-timer. Yeah, well, what what I remember about the Japanese ladies back then, especially Bull Nakano, she was rugged and stiff and and scary. Nice lady, nice lady, man. I, I made a trip with her and Luna Vachon in Canada. Yeah, check out this pairing: Luna Vachon, Bull Nakano, and myself driving together in Canada. Nice, very nice. But uh, when she got in the ring. She was brutal, and I've seen her knock a, a couple. Uh, well, if she didn't knock them out, it sure as hell was convincing enough to believe she did. So I, I didn't. I didn't see that match, but I have seen Japanese women wrestlers, and uh, they, they're they're tough, and just as tough, if not tougher, than the guys. Sometimes, man, it it could be brutal. The interesting part about the next thing is the character itself. And that, of course, is Goldust, as he will... I believe this is his second pay-per-view. I think his first match was against Gennetti. He beat him at the In Your House pay-per-view in October. So then we move on to this November show. He defeats Bam Bam Bigelow in eight minutes. What a character. What a gimmick. Goldust. And I remember being a... God, how old was I? I was probably 13 years old thinking, like, who the hell? What, what is this? I know this is Dustin Rhodes, or I think it is, but what the hell is going on with this guy? He's uh, pretty creepy. Well, yeah, and I think once again that that's uh pretty much a testament to to Dustin uh being able to take something and pull it off and I'm sure he talked to Dream about it or maybe he didn't. No, I'm not sure he did because I think they were on maybe maybe not. Um yeah, they might have but, not been getting along at that point. Maybe not they might not have been speaking, but but at the same time you know, you're given something and uh as opposed to brooding over it, and I know that one well too, uh, he went out and made it work. And and it was questionable at the time, especially because I think it was supposed to be confusing, and it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to make people wonder, who, what is he, and what is he trying to do? Is he, he's, I don't think he came across as gay, uh, or androgynous, or whatever it was, but he did come across as different and intimidating to people who didn't know. And um, so he got a lot of heat at times, you know, from the LBGT, I guess, and other other organizations who weren't quite sure what the message was being sent or supposed to be sent. And and I think the message supposed to be sent was he was playing mind games, and he he was he was in this mode of gold dust and everybody knew who he was in the wrestling world supposedly but at the same time uh he had gone through a transformation and and that you know that's my interpretation of it because every time he went to the ring 
um, you you weren't sure what was next. You weren't sure what he was going to come up with next. And Dustin, you know, was was uh, <laughs> was constantly uh, not not in character, but he was Dustin even even backstage and and could be, you know, the guys would would have a gr- have a good time being being a character like that you know and and you could get away with anything uh because you know you could you could be in character you could be out of character and then just slip right back into character when uh, when when you wanted to and that helped with the authenticity especially when when he went out and was was seamless in in being gold dust he i don't think he ever uh reverted back to being and, you know the natural Dustin Rhodes, and that's followed him his whole career. And I think he's one of the greatest characters or personas uh, in the business. You know, it takes takes a lot of talent to pull something like that off, and and have people actually wonder, you know, is this guy for real or is he is he playing a part? And and Dustin, uh, like all great performers and all great workers, go out went out there and immersed himself in gold dust and. Bam Bam Bigelow, I got to tell you, I, I got to know Bam 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 a little bit in uh, when he was when he was in WWE, and he could be a funny guy. He was he was in, an interesting character too, an authentic. You can't walk around with your head tattooed uh, like that and not be authentic. He he was he was out of his mind sometimes, but he was he was crazy like a fox, and um, you know I I I got along great with him. Um, so I, I could see both of those guys having a great match and, and getting along and, and having fun putting the match together. WBF kind of, to me, screwed over Bam Bam a little bit. He had a main event WrestleMania that year, and he loses to Lawrence Taylor, which is fine. I mean, there's a big celebrity needs to win. But you think you might get a, a bit of a push after that and being involved in the main event, and then all of a sudden, you know, six, seven months later, he's in the mid-card losing to Goldust in eight minutes of the third match of the night. So it's one of those things like, man, they should have did Bam Bam a little bit better than that. Yeah, yeah, and and there again, knowing now what I what I know, knowing now what I didn't know then, um, sometimes you fall out of favor for whatever reasons, and uh, but that's life. I mean, anywhere you go, any job, any any place you find yourself in life, um, there, it, it it is what it is, and for whatever reason, you know, I don't I don't know that Bam Bam liked being. Being told what to do or playing games or things like that, and, and I don't know if that's what, what was happening, but guessing um, because Bam Bam, I don't think had a problem telling anybody how he felt, and uh, that doesn't always help <laughs> when when you feel some uh, a certain way that they don't want to hear, and. I mean that could happen. That, that could have been it. That, I don't know, but but that's just what I'm guessing because he had talent. He looked the part. He was the part, and uh, he was a badass. So for whatever reason, may not have been anything nefarious or out of the ordinary. He might have just been ready to go. Who knows? But but Bam Bam was a great uh, a great persona as well. The next matchup is a Survivor Series Elimination 8-man tag, the dark side of Fatu, Henry Godwin, Savio Vega, and Team Captain The Undertaker with Paul Bearer defeat the Royals, which is Hunter Hearst Hemsley, Isaac Yankum, 
who you know very, very well, King Mabel, and of course, Jerry the King Lawler. It's pretty much a clean sweep as far as this match. Fatu, Henry Godwin, Vega, and Undertaker all win. Easy victory, about 14-minute match. Don't know if you'll remember anything about this match, but it's just interesting that, like you, we were kind of talking about before, you never know, even when you get your break and you're in WWE, you never know what's going to click, what's going to make it. And obviously, Isaac Yank and GDS didn't make it, but we're still talking about one of the most legendary WWF performers of all time in Kane, and Glenn Jacobs. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to endure some bad gimmicks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you, you do, and... and it, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you have to sit and 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 decide. Um, do you have something better, or do you just know that uh, you can make this gimmick work? I don't think I don't think Glenn was feeling Isaac. I know he wasn't feeling Isaac Yankum at all. Uh, he wasn't feeling you know a couple things uh, during his career, but but. You know, when you got a guy like that, who you can't teach six eight, six nine, you just, you know that that that's impossible. But um, you you can mold the attitude if it's willing to be molded and know what's what's right. And Glenn went to the right uh, mentors and the right people, and and got some good sound advice. Uh, then you have guys, you know, that same size who just blow it and. You know, roll the dice and not not making the right choices. So you know, it. I, I don't remember a whole lot about that match. Hell, I don't remember a whole lot about that night. Quite honestly, I've tried to try to block out the bad things or or the uh, odd things. But uh, you know, I, I I don't think any team at that point that the Undertaker was on was going to lose, and it only made sense. But a lot of those guys. You know, Henry Godwin, um, you know, part of the BSK, and Savio, part of the BSK. That was, there were real clicks going on back then, and I uh, I just had no no desire to play the game, <laughs> and I should have. The next match up is a wild card match under Survivor Series elimination rules, of course. Now, the interesting thing to me about this is that WWF did not have a lot of strong heels at this point. So really, for a main event, this is a co-main event, but for a main event level match, they legit seem like they didn't have enough, I guess, heels or whatever it is to really kind of complete a, a full team. I, I don't know. I don't, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I mean, but it just seemed a little off. Or maybe because Brett and Diesel are, are both faces, or maybe they don't have enough faces. I don't know how, what to make of it. But you get the wild card match, which means faces and heels are on the same team. So you get Ahmed Johnson, Shawn Michaels, Sid, and the British Bulldog with Cornette and DiBiase defeat Dean Douglas, Owen Hart, Razor Moan, and Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji, about 30-minute match, so it's a long match. It's it's very good, but it's just interesting the fact that either they don't have enough faces or they don't have enough heels, and they're throwing everybody together in, in even more of a hodgepodge than your match. Yeah, but once again, I, I think it was one of those things that they didn't have the matchups that they really needed and or wanted, and it was just let's put these guys together and we'll make a a, a match out of it you know it wasn't uh yeah it wasn't madison square garden it was delaware <laughs> so not 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 to dismiss delaware or, or demean delaware in any way but um 
you're right. I mean, the, the buy rate was obviously abysmal and great house, but um, there just wasn't any excitement or heat, I think. And what do you do when that happens? You make the best of it and move on. I mean, that that was that was what I got out of it, and and uh, that's how I feel about it. Let me just figure this out here. Ahmed Johnson face. Shawn Michaels yep. face, Sid heel, Bulldog heel, Douglas heel. Oh, no, they don't, have, they don't have enough baby face. Owen Hart heel, Yokozuna, and Razor Ramon's baby face. So, really, they didn't have enough baby faces because Brett and Deezer are in the main event. Okay, now it makes sense. Now, I'm, like, thinking about it 25 years later trying to remember, and I'm like, wait, what do they, what do they have not have enough of? So, I guess it's because of the main event, the way it's settled. But Shawn Michaels defeats Dean Douglas to eliminate him first in about seven minutes. Then Razor eliminates Sid. Ahmed eliminates Owen. The Bulldog eliminates Razor. Ahmed Johnson eliminates Yoko and the Soul Survivors. Ahmed, Shawn Michaels, and the British Bulldog. Interesting yeah. the way it's set up, but um, I talked to um, Justin Credible all the time, PJ Blocko, and he was saying Ahmed Johnson was more over at this point than Shawn Michaels yeah. was. Well, I was just going to say, they, they had big plans for Ahmed, and it was obvious to everybody, but, uh, you know, again, for whatever reason, um, sometimes guys get it in their head that they uh, are, are, are about to get a big push and now they're the king of the kingdom and, and it doesn't work like that. You know, you can get a big push, but but it's still their company and it's still Vince's company. And you may, may not agree with everything he says or everything he does, but until you get your own company, that's pretty much the way it is. And uh, I don't know if that's the case with Ahmed, but sometimes when when things go south or say, things turn around, and the next thing you know, you're in the uh, third match losing to somebody who who rightly might not have beaten you six months earlier. I mean, things change, and and you don't always know where to put the fingers, if anywhere except yourself. And you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, oh, wait a minute. And you know we all do. Uh, we take we have to take responsibility for for our uh, our direction, good or bad. And uh, so, however that happened, however that wound up, we Ahmed certainly would have had a great future. He got hurt, I know that. Um, but a the lot. rest, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know that that could have had something to do with it too. But you know who knows? I mean, they, nobody really knows. Except that person. So, uh, but he was in, he was certainly getting primed for a for a hell of a push. Yeah, and he was a physical freak. I mean, so athletic, but probably about two hundred and seventy five pounds. So it's like, man, like in some of the moves he could do. So it's, man, he's pretty damn athletic for being that gigantic. But but you know, yeah, he 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 was. He certainly was. But uh, he was a powerful guy. And and sometimes when you don't know how to harness that power, uh, you you could. Uh, hurt somebody, and and I don't know if that was always the case, but but sometimes I think Ahmed didn't really care if he did or didn't. That's uh, you know, that's true. He injured a few people and was injured a lot himself. The yeah. main event of the evening for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship: Bret Hart defeats Big Daddy Cool Diesel for the World Championship in about 25 minutes. Bret in a great great match. I implore anybody to go back and if you're going to watch it on the network or wherever, 
I would implore you to go back and watch this match, especially maybe not the whole card. The wild card match, maybe it's pretty good. Um, this match is just great. Love this match. Bret Hart is the new champion. They go back into a different direction. Do you remember this match? Have you seen this match? Were you watching it from the backstage? Well, yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen the match, but I do know this, that, that um, uh, Kevin Nash always rose to the occasion when he had opponents that pushed him. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure Brett was out there uh, and wanted to have a great match and push Kevin to the limit. So, um, you know, a lot of people – I want to say Kevin wasn't wasn't a great worker. Uh, he was not going to be. He wasn't a technical wizard by any stretch of the imagination. Once again, you can't teach seven seven foot uh, tall, but you can't teach personality. You, you can suggest, but he had just that quick wit, that quick um, ability to 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 come back, and and he he looked intimidating. He was who he said he was. He was. Kevin Nash, big sexy, and and he knew it. And Brett, Brett, again, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. He believed it, and he said it over and over and over enough to to um, just re reiterate, not just to the people he was saying it to, but to himself. Every time he said that, it just uh, enforced the fact that he believed it. And you know, once again. Uh, I think Muhammad Ali said it best. If you don't believe you're the best in the world, fake it until you do. And Brett did. But he always believed he was the best. And you have to have that performer's ego. You've got to believe you are the greatest in the world. Sean believed it. Kevin believed it. Austin believed it. Everybody who's been there, ask them. It, it's, they've had self-doubt. They, they've you know, no had fears as well, just like everybody else. But at the same time, they overcame and went out and Brett every night. I, I don't ever remember Brett phoning it in. Don't ever remember Brett uh, going out there just dogging it. And I'm sure he took Kevin uh, in that match. And, you know, Kevin had to hold up his end too. And I'm, I'm sure he did. I, it's been a long time since I've seen that match. But uh, there's no doubt that both of those guys, when they are on – and especially working with each other, had a hell of a match. So Bret Hart, if you think about him, and I know at this point it's kind of a down period for the WWF, and this is not his first title run, but you know, people were saying, kind of blaming him for, for certain things, like, oh, they were down, and they were kind of blaming Diesel. So a year later, Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, is in WCW, and he's one of the biggest draws in professional wrestling, catching on with the NWO. So that's one of those things where you look back, you're like, wow, a year earlier people were saying – you know, that uh, he wasn't that great of a draw. And then on the flip side, 96 WWF, Shawn Michaels wasn't drawing very good, so they were dying to bring Brett back, and Brett came back at MSG at Survivor Series and was a great draw for that, you know, for that night. It was helping them to kind of bounce back. So just, an, you know, think, the way things happen a year later, it's like, wow, certain things can change a lot. Well, right, right, and everybody, everybody has a change of heart. I mean, it's like, you know, I love you this morning, hate you later this morning, and, and love you later on in the afternoon, man. It's like, you know, uh, you, you can always point to blame, but, but at that time when, when Kevin and Razor went to WCW, it was still under the implication that uh, they were coming down from the north. Even though the smart fans knew what was going on, they weren't really sure. It was exciting because they kept it under the premise of we're coming in to invade and we're taking over. And it was Scott and, and Kevin pretty close together. And when they did it and they unleashed uh, 
their reign of terror and and, and smart-ass remarks and, and everything they did, it was cool. It was different than people had seen. And and instead of Razor Ramon, he was now Scott Hall, but he was still the bad guy, and Kevin Nash was now Kevin Nash. And uh, instead of being these cartoon characters of Razor and Diesel, now they're Scott and Kevin. And they, and they got to have fun being Scott and Kevin uh, just like they were backstage, and they, they could do it uh, in the ring and in front of people now. And um, uh, that that lasted Shit, they they made an impact, the NWO, and Hogan didn't want to turn heel for anybody, but by God, he saw how hot this thing was getting, and uh, it, it it revived and gave Hogan a new new life, I think. And um, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe in this condition, this atmosphere, or this that environment uh, in WWE at that time, it certainly wasn't going to work, and it probably wouldn't have worked um, uh, for whoever they put in that spot. But once again, WWE was coming off, I think, bad publicity and the trial and, and not really in a good place. So, yeah, I, I think with anybody, just, just to cover the whole statement, with anybody, I think it ha- you have to be in the right environment and, and you have to feel it and uh, immerse yourself in that uh, to be great, and when Kevin Nash went to WCW, you know, after his, I don't know if it was such a failed run, but it wasn't as great as some, but I don't think it was a complete failure at all. Uh, you know, he was he was still viewed as larger than life, and when he came to the ring with the title, he he looked. Like a champion now, whether people really wanted to see him as a champion is a whole different story. But you know, uh, it, it's all about timing. And when when Kevin had the belt, uh, the timing wasn't right. So obviously, drawing wasn't uh, he wasn't drawing. No, I don't think anybody was drawing back then. So a new place, new environment, new new uh, uh, look. I mean. My God, I, I think he did great at, at that point. With Bret Hart, just to think about it, people are saying, you know, is he great and how great is he? So the guys who've had their best matches with Bret Hart, I think Diesel has, maybe not this match, but they've had some other great ones, and I love this match. Diesel's probably had his best match with Bret. Owen Hart has had his best match with Bret. Mr. Perfect had his best match with Bret. Steve Austin had his best match with Brett. Yokozuna had his best match with Brett. British Bulldog probably had his best match with Brett. And one, two, three, kid Sean Waltman probably had his best match with Brett, not even mentioning his great matches with everybody else, like, you know, Undertaker and Sid, and he had some good ones with Vader, and probably had maybe the Patriots' best match. So it's just like one of those things. It's like, wow, people say what you will about Bret Hart, but he probably brings the best out of everyone he's in the ring with. Well, that, I think, goes to uh, Brett's passion and uh, love for the business and being around the business and believing in himself also. Uh, going out there and, and taking pride in um, in, in do, ha- having the best match on the card, that's why I believe uh, he and Sean had such a great rivalry because it was le- legitimate. It was authentic. And when they went out, uh, they they 
we're trying to outdo each other to show each other how professional both could be at, at making the other guy's stuff look great. And he, Brett did that with everybody. And uh, he, he's he, Brett Hart is a consummate pro. He knew when he went out there, uh, it's for the match. And, of course, Brett loves Brett, and he should. Uh, anyone who says the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, has to have confidence, has to believe it, and then he did. But he understood what that meant, and it meant going out there and giving uh, the fans and his opponent uh, the best match he was capable of doing that night. And and more times than not, he went out and stole the show. And that's why Brett, especially after the uh, – after the trial and after all the stuff went down, I think, you know, that that's why Vince kept going back to Brett and, and he kept showing up in those top spots because he deserved it and he earned it. So, um, yeah, I agree. A lot of people will say they had their best match with Brett because quite, sim- quite simply they did. Survivor Series 95, to me, probably maybe thumbs in the middle just because I don't like the first couple matches. I mean, they're okay, but nothing too great to write home about. But I do like the wild card match, and I do love the main event. So, you know, it's not all bad. It's, it's a little bit of a down period, like, we, you know, we talked about. But it's it's not all bad. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, wrestling will have its ups and downs. Every, every uh, I think, entertainment uh, uh aspect or element will have their ups and downs. Some will be great, some will be good, some will be horrible. But eventually it's going to come back around. And um, whatever captures the imagination, there's got to be something or someone out there that um, will will be special and lightning will strike and will catch it in the bottle again. And, uh, man, it, it, it's, it's, it's got to be out there and uh 95 wasn't the greatest and austin when he came in shortly after that uh you know he was he was pegged as a mid-card guy at best and with, with he needed a mouthpiece like ted DiBiase. not at all but you know he had to go through that process and had to walk down that path until he <laughs> until he got the off-ramp and said nope teddy i love you but uh, you can take these white boots and knee pads and green trunks and uh, pack them away because I'm I'm about to <laughs> be stone cold, and and that's got to happen again. I, I do believe that uh, somebody's going to come along and uh, and figure it out and 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 be that guy. And somebody said I I, re- I was reading uh, something the other day where it said it's impossible to explain creativity. It's like asking a bird, how do you fly? You know, you just do. So the guys who are creative, they, they, they're going to be creative. They just do it. And there's a lot of creative people out there. Uh, they just haven't been discovered yet. I'm, I truly believe that. It may be next year, maybe a couple of years down the road, but uh, the ones who, who have it, have it. And they just need to let somebody uh, have somebody turn the key and, and let them go. Uh, I, I hope that happens uh, soon, but I don't know. I mean, it's it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of confidence, and believe in your belief in yourself. And I don't. I, I hope we see more Bret Hart's and uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's 
down the road. That is for sure. Now, as we head towards the plugs, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to the next level. Of course, talking about your book. How can the wonderful fans get a copy of this awesome book? Every wonderful fan can get a copy of my book at Amazon.com. Just type in Dr. Tom's book in the search uh envelope, a column, whatever it's called. And you can also get a signed, a personally signed copy if you go to PayPal. And my PayPal is at Dr. Tom or Dr. Tom Pritchard at AOL.com. And uh, I will send you a personally signed autographed copy. $25, by the way. $25. I say that. Thank you. Yes, I highly suggest everybody picking up that book. That is for sure. You can also go to ProWrestlingTea.com, where a store has been open for a dot-com and also for the JPWA. So that is ProWrestlingTeas.com. Head over to the JPWA store or the Dr. Tom Pritchard store. You can also go to the JPWA's website, JPWrestlingAcademy.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. And, of course, you can follow Dr. Tom at Dr. Tom Richard, time you got some personal appearances coming up. You want to? Talk I about. actually do. December fourth, fifth, and sixth in Winston Salem, North Carolina. It is for AML, and I'm looking so forward to going and seeing those guys. Uh, it's going to be a great three days. We start Friday night and go through Sunday. So uh, I'm going to be at the show Sunday night also, and check it out, man. It's going to be very, very cool. Are also, real quick, I just want to mention this too, if anybody's listening, uh, who is in the Gladeville area or Tennessee area, uh, this Friday, uh, November 20th, will be at the Gladeville Community Center. It's 95 McCreary Road in Lebanon, Tennessee, uh, for USA Championship Wrestling. Burt Punis has allowed us to do our graduation there this week. And also some of our JPWA graduates will be in action for the first time. So you might want to check that out as well. All right. Thank you to everybody for joining us this week and every week right here on Taking to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.